Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So, Justin. Yeah, Andres, what's up? How are you uh, holding up in uh, day 9,700 of the uh, quarantine? Uh, I'm still restrained from cannibalism. That's good. Um, I'm, keeping, I'm keeping, things, keeping things real. In the internet marketing world, it's it's not all that different. I go out a little bit less than I normally do, but I'm also not a guy that goes out all that much any, to begin with. So, you know. So have you been occupying your time? Working. Yeah? Working. <laughs> Like that's cool. 18, 19, 20 hour days. Yeah. Are, are you, are you planning on going to, to any events like virtually or otherwise? Um, now that you mention it, there's one coming up that I, I just might be attending. Really? What, which one? Uh, you'll hear about it later, uh, a little bit later. Oh, you're going to keep me in suspense. <laughs> well, in that case, that's right. I'll just go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Andre Sturgeon. And I'm Justin Womack. And we are the Marketing Geeks. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So where are you going, man? Does it have something to do with our guest? Well, it does have something to do with our guest because our guest this week is none other than who I'm going to call a celebrity because he's a celebrity in my world, Tucker Max. He's the co-founder of Scribe Media, who you're going to hear a little bit about that on this interview, which is a company that helps you write, publish, and market your book. But he's kind of had two careers because when I came to know about him, he was the author of, I think it's called I Hope They Drink Beer in Hell. I hope they serve beer in hell. I hope they serve beer in hell which is the one that I heard, I heard about him from. And they actually converted that into a movie. I don't know how well the movie did, but it became a movie regardless. But he's gotten on to write four New York Times bestsellers, three that hit number one on the charts. He's sold over four and a half million copies worldwide. He's credited with being the originator of the literary genre, fratire. So we'll have to get into that, which I guess is a combination of fraternity and satire. And he's only the fourth writer among the Malcolm Gladwell, Brene Brown, and Michael Lewis to have three books on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list at one time, simultaneously. Damn. That's pretty good. And he was nominated to the Time Magazine 100 Most Influential List in 2009. Please welcome to the show, Tucker Max. How are you, Tucker? Thank you. Tucker Max. It's awesome to have you here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so for those listeners who don't know you, uh, can you give us a little kind of rundown about uh, like something that maybe Justin didn't cover? Justin got, he covered it pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> he got the important things. I mean, I'm married with three kids. 
Like all, everything you didn't cover is pretty boring, to be honest. But you had you had kind of like two kind of career paths, right? Because like when you started with, uh, I hope they serve beer in hell. That was a quite a different kind of career area. You had a different mission back then. Would it? Would you say that's accurate? Like, what? Tell me about like. I didn't have a mission, man. My uh, <laughs> it, it was more like I liked hooking up and I li- with girls, and I liked drinking and I liked partying, and I found a way to make money doing that. So I did it. Like that was, I guess that's the mission, but it was definitely not a conscious like, oh, I've decided I'm going to do this. It was like, oh, like this is an option in front of me. I'm going to take it. Now, now I, I also had that similar mission back in college, but I didn't find the way to monetize it. So what, <laughs> what happened? How were you able to take like this, this college journey and, and find a path to monetization? Like, were you running a blog in the beginning? Like, and how did this go to the New York Times? Yeah, I mean, th- so this was... You got to remember this was two, I'm 44 now. So this was 2001, 2002, mm-hmm. like that era, that arena. So that was like back when GeoCities <laughs> was still a thing, right? Like the word blog didn't exist. The idea that you could be a writer on the internet was still not a, a, a thing that people believed or uh, anticipated. And so long, long story short, um, uh, after I graduated law school, I wrote all these emails to my friends about how much I hated my life because I lived in South Florida, which is the, you know, the armpit of America, culturally at least. And, um, and they thought they were hilarious and started forwarding them around to their friends. And they're like, dude, you should like uh, do this for a living. And I'm like, what, I'm going to be a writer? What kind of a bitch am I? I'm not doing that. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got fired from the only two jobs I've ever really held. I was fired as a lawyer in three weeks and then fired from my family business by my father mm. uh, in six months. And so they're like, all right, dude, you're not good at the things you're supposed to be doing, but this writing thing you're actually good at. And so I, I sent my emails out to like every publisher and got 100% rejection, uh, like to the point where some of them were like, you should never write an email again. This is the worst stuff I've ever read. <laughs> and what, what was the family business? What, what, what kind Restaur- of business? Restaurants would- in South Florida. Okay. Well, yeah. and, and what kind of restaurant was it? Um, Max's Grill. It's, it's like a sort of like Cheesecake Factory, but a little got bit it. nicer. Like that got style. It. Um, and so, uh, it would, by the way, great business to not be in right now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you're probably glad you're not in there right now. Yeah, so. Super excited about that. Uh, anyway, so, um, I sent it out to everybody, got complete rejection, but then my for my emails started getting forwarded back to me by my friends. Remember back when email forwards were a thing, you know, like you would get a, a funny <laughs> before like old people found them. Like when like they chain were, letters, right? Exactly. <laughs> sort of like chain letters, but like funny, like what, what stuff that's on, you know, Instagram and Twitter and uh, all the other sort of social networks used to be email boards. And so my stuff did. And, um, and now it's like, and I was like, okay, they're wrong. Like all these people who are paid all this money to pick best selling books don't know what they're talking about. Turns out I was true or I was right. Uh, so I, I uh, ended up putting my stuff on the internet for free. And then like, it kind of, I mean, there's a lot of details, but it basically took off from there. I was the first guy to go blog to bestseller, the first one to go blog to movie, um, like all of that stuff. Like I was kind of the, the accidental pioneer. Of it. You were, you were at the, at the forefront of the, the edge before. Yeah. yeah. No, wait, how, how big did you get in terms of like, were they putting you on like the tonight show or anything like that did you get to make any of the traditional celebrity stuff yeah i was on like uh yeah uh, oh of course like i mean dude like i was on the 100 most influential list in 09 which by the way all the celebrity stuff is such bullshit people like now everyone gets that now but 10 years yeah. ago they didn't quite get that now everyone knows it's all smoke and mirrors and bullshit 
I was on uh, what's his name Carson? What's his face? And I was on a couple of oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Carson Daly. Yeah, Carson, Carson Daly. Daly. Yeah, I was on his yeah. show. I was on a couple of others. Uh, others. But you got to remember, man. In America, even ten years ago, no one's famous for being a writer. Every like, there's no such thing as a famous writer. There are famous people who write, and like the random weird exceptions are like me, Malcolm Gladwell, kind of. But even Malcolm Gladwell, if you took a poll of all Americans. Only like twenty or thirty percent would know who Malcolm Gladwell is, right? He and just not many would probably recognize what he looks like too. Right, right, right exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, he's famous among a certain type of person. So, like, uh, I mean, the the maybe the rare exception is like a couple novelists, like J.K. Rowling. Most people know, you know, Michael or Stephen King, uh, James Patterson. There's a few others, right? But like, no one in America is famous for being a writer. So I got a, I got about as famous as you can be being a writer. Um, you know, movie was made about my life, all that kind of stuff. But it, like at that point, you have to, you have to, you have to level up to be like a fame whore. You have to become like famous for like going to parties and all that. And I lived in LA for two years, dude. And it was, I, it's hard for me to envision a worse hell than that. Than LA. Oh man. Yeah, I, I, I worked in the industry for a good 10 years. And uh, I, I got to tell you, it, 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 it is, it, I mean, Hollywood is a place where, uh, and I said this before, like, like God just shook the United States and only the normal people hung on and all the psychopaths <laughs> either slid to D.C. or, or Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I mean, like, it, it, and, it's, and the worst part is the entertainment business attracts like the the two types of business attract the three types the worst people um finance in new york politics in dc and entertainment in la right and like right politics are like where uh, ugly people go like you know like if you're too ugly for hollywood and you're not smart enough for finance then you're in politics right <laughs> and the finance is like i care mostly about money hollywood is i care mostly about fame that's it yeah, that's really, really accurate. Well said. I've never really kind of put it that concisely, but um, man, you're dead on there. <laughs> yep. So, so what what was your what was your Hollywood like? You 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 start. Did you did the movie deal kind of come in around that time? Or like, yeah. The- book, book came out in '06 mm-hmm. and uh, hit the bestseller list because I had this thing called an email list, which at the time, outside of direct marketers, internet marketers, no one understood what that meant or knew anything about that. And I didn't even, I just put up an email capture on my site. And then all of a sudden there were 50,000 people who were getting emails from me. So um, my, my book hit the New York Times bestseller list two weeks in a row when it came out with no press, no nothing. So first of all, what, what was that like? I mean, when you suddenly were like, holy shit, like this is... Like your your family that fired you, like like what was what 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 was that whole process when you went from kind of like semi known to like really known? And what kind of money were you making? Like really good money at this point too? No, no. So <laughs> so let, let, this is actually a perfect segue. I'll I'll break two big assumptions people have. A lot of people assume when your book hits the bestseller list, all of a sudden all this stuff happens. Nothing happens. Your friends don't even know unless you tell them, <laughs> because no one looks at the bestseller list and no one actually cares. And it doesn't sell any books. Now, if you get to put it on your bio and say it, then like it is a, a credential, like the way that like going to an Ivy League school is a credential or whatever. So it is an actual credential, um, but it's like, it's not like, n- there's no parade. You don't get a bunch of calls. Like, it's not like, oh, we're going to invite you to the cool secret famous people parties. Like none of that stuff happens. It'd be cool if it did, but it didn't. And then uh, the way books work, I mean, you know, it's still decent copies, 5,000 the first week, 
3,500 a second week, but you get paid every six months. Right. And so it's like, it's not like uh, on Amazon, you get paid every month. And it's like, no, 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 this was 06 before Amazon was Amazon truly yet. And even at, in 06, there were probably only 50, 100 million people on the internet or something like that. Like maybe half of America was on the internet or, or whatever, something, 150. And so like, it was still like, there's still, oh, he's just like an internet person. Like that was still a thing. Dude, it was still creepy <laughs> to meet people off the internet in 06. You guys forget, man. Like that was still real weird then. It's like, we met, mm-hmm. people would whisper, like we met on yeah. the internet. Like, no, I, I, I was, uh. I was online dating in like 2007, 2008, and it was, it was very hush hush. We, right. you know, exactly. nobody talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. So I, I, being an early pioneer with this stuff doesn't really help you become famous. It's way better usually being the second, third wave. It's like with almost any tech or anything, like let the pioneers figure out all the problems, <laughs> fall into all the pit, pitfalls and, and get caught in the, you know, the Donner Pass and you realize, okay, we're going to pass the Donner Pass and go around. <laughs> like, Which is my theory for what big tobacco is doing with the CBD and marijuana industries right now. So yeah, probably, <laughs> seriously, probably right. Yeah. And vaping too. It's like, all right, we'll, we'll let the, the, let the early <laughs> people find all the problems and we'll avoid them. So what, yeah. about, what about royalties? Like what kind of royalties were you bringing in from a book? Garbage. Hot garbage. Do you have like a bad deal? Was it because you had a bad agent or? <laughs> Everyone gets the same deal in Hollywood. Okay. So it's not like, or sorry, in uh, books. Publishing is like, again, it's like people who really want to be in media but are too dumb to be in Hollywood are in publishing or people who are like total book, book, book nerds, right? And so neither of those types are business people. So it's very much a gentleman's uh, sort of world. They're all pretty upstanding, but it's like they screw everybody the same. So it's not like, you don't get screwed like, oh, this guy got a bad deal. This guy got a good deal. Everyone gets the same deal and it's all garbage. And everyone accepts it mm-hmm. because they all want to be chosen, right? It's like, oh, I'm important. I'm published and all that bullshit. And thankfully, like my company, like self-publishing and my company and other people have helped kind of wash a lot of that nonsense away. Um, but there's still a huge, it's sort of like, um, like going to an Ivy League school, right? Like I got into all the Ivies for undergrad and for law school. And they didn't want to give me any money. So I was like, <laughs> fuck you guys. I'll go to the University of Chicago, which is just as good. And then I'll go to Duke, which gave me a full ride. Right. And like, and you, you know, like Harvard's like, you should be happy you got in. And I'm like, Duke gave me $150,000. And they're like, well, we're Harvard. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> like, it, like they're playing on their status. It's, it's bullshit. At the end of the day, it's complete bullshit. But most people are monkeys playing status games. And they don't realize. Or aren't we, like our society's built on the status game in so many different ways, right? No, no, it's not. It's built on the people who produce. The people who play the status games pretend that they're the ones, important ones and the ones in charge. Those are the ones in LA, DC, and uh, LA and DC especially, who are saying, oh, what we do is so important. Usually what they do is get in the way. Yeah, for sure. Like the, the, that's not what society is built on the people who do the work. So, so uh, what, what, when you got the, the option for the film, uh, what was that experience like? Cause you wrote the screenplay as well, right? Yeah, I, I, I partnered with another guy. I wrote the screenplay. Um, I was a producer on the movie. Like I didn't put up the money for it, obviously. Thank God. But uh, um, dude, the Hollywood system is, it's breathtaking. Like I was just talking about publishing is like kind of everyone gets screwed. When... Publishing is like uh, the greatest uh, experience and the most fair system on earth compared to Hollywood. Like <laughs> if you want to understand what Hollywood's like, I, I'll, this, this is the best way to explain it. So when I got there, 
right? Uh, I moved to LA in 07. And, and like, you know, I was getting, I mean, our, our, our script was getting big seven figure offers. Like I was playing in like the Hollywood Hold'em game, which is like, it is like the, the, the secret celebrity invite shit. Like I got into like, that. Like Molly's game. Right. I got into that <laughs> world. No, seriously, where it was like Vince Vaughn and all those people. And uh, like, you realize a couple things. First, almost everyone in Hollywood is either a complete malignant sociopath or psychopath or a completely empty narcissist. Almost all of them are one of the two, right? Not all, but almost all. Then you also realize that most of them have no fucking idea how the game is played at all. All they really care about is the fame and the status, and they'll do anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything to get it. And and then you realize, oh, my God, the people who actually control the system out there are people like Harvey Weinstein. And I'm going to tell you, he's not even in the top five worst. Oh, totally. In he's fact, not even in the top five, guys. He's awful. He's a monster. Yeah. He should, he should be in jail forever, and he's not even in the top five. He was probably in the top ten, but he's not in the top five. Like, he didn't diddle children. Like, you know, yeah. and there's a, quite a few of those. Yeah. Like, no, he, he was not – oh, my – there's people I met where I'm like, man, I'm not sure you're a human. Where you're so fucked up and evil that, like – if aliens existed, you're who I imagine they would be. <laughs> no, it's it's so true, and 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 that's why it always it always astounds me when the conspiracy theorists are like, "Oh, the reptiles are taking over Hollywood," and the government's like, "Man, you don't need to go over." No, you can just look at the evil humans. Right? <laughs> There's enough evil fuckers out there that they will backstab anybody. And then, so you know, here's the thing: I worked I worked for Oliver Stone for a little while, right? And uh, they offered me a job to basically work at the front desk. And I really got to see how everything was done. And I realized that in order for me to make it in that town, I would have to literally sell my soul and, and have a contract. And, and yeah. these people will, will, you know, and so, of, of course, the people that backstab the best uh, they have no morals, so they'll fuck anybody, you know, and they'll just, you know, figuratively and literally to get to the top. And that's, you know, it's it's a giant game that they play to to keep their status. So, so obviously, you realize that pretty quickly, huh? Oh yeah, no, it did not take me long. Uh, it, it, I thought <laughs> I knew going in, man, and it's the level of depravity is just breathtaking. Guys, like here's the, the I explain Hollywood to, to people that not just Harvey, Harvey Weinstein wasn't he's only top ten, not top five. Yeah, but the funny thing is I I said look at all the people he worked with, right? Okay, yeah. Now uh, a bunch of women came out talking about uh, how he raped them and did all this stuff, and I have no doubt he did all of that. Now go look at all the women he worked with, which either who either said nothing, right, right, like either that me. Either they did it voluntarily or they're still afraid to come forward because they don't want it to screw with their career, one or the other, because all of them did. Or go look at all the dudes who worked with him, because all of them knew. Yeah. All of them. One of the one of the one of Harvey's like big writers wrote this whole piece on Facebook about this, which I thought was perfect. And it's called We Knew. And the whole thing's like, look, I, I knew, I knew this, I knew that. And if you worked, if you orbited Harvey at all, you knew. So don't act like you didn't. And he's right. I know. 
I met Harvey one time in one pitch meeting. I walked out of it. And I'm like, I'm not working with any him or yeah. anyone ever again. <laughs> and I fucking knew. And no, it's, it's not like true. I was a deep insider, man. I was a surface Hollywood person. Yeah, I was every, not, everybody you, knew. Everybody in 2003, knew. everybody knew. So everybody. this whole thing, when his whole, when his whole like, board came out, they're like, oh, we're shocked. We had no idea. It's like, you fuckers. You well, all it's like, knew. Look. Don't fucking tell. If you believe in anything about uh, believe women and all this, then then you need to be fucking setting Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on fire right now because they fucking knew the whole thing the yeah. whole time, and they even fucking say everyone knew they knew. Yeah, the whole system is like that. Every single person in that system is like that. And you're exactly right, Andres. You're exactly right. I said to myself, "What is my soul worth?" And I'm like, "It's not worth this." It may have a price, but there's fucking nothing out here I'm willing to trade it for. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I think an author uh, that's kind of captured this is John Ronson in the psychopath test. Have you, have you read that, Tucker? Mm-hmm. Because that's like the kind of concept here is you have like people that are psychopaths are either going to end up in prison or they're going to end up as like Hollywood celebrities, yeah. politicians, right. or finance surgeons people. Or surgeons. It's like these yeah. three areas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or surgeons is the other big one. And pilots. Those are the big five. Yeah. Yeah, high status, high intelligence games. Yep. So was there was there a moment when you were like like was there one specific moment? Were you living in Hollywood at the time? Did yeah, you- I lived in LA. I lived in the belly of the beast, like literally like right at Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> oh, Hollywood and Vine? <laughs> Dude, I it was like like what like was that like were you living like in that area by Man's Chinese Theater? Yeah, of course. Oh no, my god, right there. dude! Yeah. I lived. I lived. Uh, you were neighbors. Yeah, no, we were. I lived on <laughs> Hawthorne. Uh, Hawthorne was yeah. right between La Brea course, and Hollywood. Of and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I lived like right, right there for like ten years. Like it, yeah, it's a, it's a wild place. So we were too. neighbors. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it took me too, man. I, I got, I got a couple questions about the the writing background. Uh-huh. So you got, so you, I mean, you ended up, you know, starting a blog, getting to the New York times, all this. Did you have a, a writing background in high school, college? Like, was that no. anything like a, a skill set you were recognized for, or is this something that just like developed randomly kind of later on? Well, so, I mean, all right. So, uh, right now, uh, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and most of our clients are entrepreneurs uh, or business owners. So like, I know I've, I've run, I would say if I, if you had to identify a circle, I run the most in that's the circle. And, um, and, of the like that group of people, I'm one of the only ones who has a stellar five star education background, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I like I graduated three years summa cum laude from the hardest undergrad in the country, University of Chicago, and then went on to get an academic scholarship to a top ten law school, right? And, and like, what was your bachelor's in? What was your undergrad? It was uh, it, it's this thing called Law Letters and Society, which is basically like econ light. It's okay. like econ, but just easier. And it leads to law school. Okay. Right. Well, it leads to law school and I could graduate in three years. Whereas econ, I was going to have to take four. So, um, uh, but like I studied, I took all the econ, I took all the econ classes except for econometrics and a few other ones that was for ridiculously hard math. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, like, dude, I studied under five Nobel laureates, all those guys at Chicago, right? Um, Becker and Coase and Fogel and all of them. And so uh, what was so funny, man, is like I talk to my friends now and they're all like, they're all super insecure about their educational background. And it's definitely an area where they're sensitive or they feel less than. And I I tell them all, I'm like, guys, it's just a fucking game. And I figured the game out and broke it and you didn't. But had you had had someone around to tell you how to work the system, I know you could have broken it as evidenced by the fact that you're successful entrepreneurs, which is the same thing, basically. And they don't believe me. And then I walk them through just, I'm like, what, what, what were you the, the, the least good at? And they're like, oh, math or English or this or that. I'm like, okay. 
And then I'll walk them through how to do it. They'll look at me like, oh, like they're, they're flabbergasted. It never occurred to them that this is not some objective measure of humans. It is a bullshit set of rules put together by a bunch of assholes who are trying to make themselves feel important and establish their own authority and credibility. It's completely arbitrary. And once you understand that, you can model it and break it easily, which is all I did. Is this is this assholes finish first? Your your book that uh, <laughs> that you is that is that what that's kind of about? No, none of those books are about school at all. Okay. Like they're well, all about drinking, hooking up, uh, all that stuff. <laughs> so the thing I want to mention though is that like because I I had a lot of success in school for the most part, but I would just cruise and I could just show up and do well and not, and not. You know, eventually I didn't, I didn't do that well in college because I just didn't go to class, but I was able to graduate and get a bachelor's degree, a bachelor's science degree in biopsychology without, without showing up to a lot of classes, actually, yeah. which is, which is kind of sad. Um, but I mean, the funny thing is like, it's, it's so, it's so weird to me because I, I agree with you. There's a lot of people that are uncomfortable about not having bachelor's degrees and I find them to be completely worthless, completely arbitrary, like you're yep. saying. And it's, it's all a game in terms of like, you have to be good at one thing and that's taking tests. And, and like, this is a measure of how good you are at memorization and test taking. It has nothing to do with how well I retain the information. It has nothing to do with, if you were to ask me the same questions today, I probably, I mean, well, actually, because I've kind of come back to this subject, I would do okay. But I mean, if you ask me questions about a random philosophy class I took in college, I would have no idea about anything, but I was able to get an A in a test. It's just, it's just a weird, random... I, I would um, actually take it a, a, a step higher of abstraction. It's not just memorizing for a test. That's what a lot of people try to do when they fail. They fail at what it is, is modeling the mind of the instructor. First off, you have to model the system and then model the mind of the instructor and understand what is it, what are the incentives weighing on them in this system? How are they measuring themselves? And what do they think they have to see from you in order to validate their role in the system and moving you forward and what, what and the, the rankings, right? So that was always my first thing with every class was deeply understanding the teacher's mindset. Because once you understand that, because there are some teachers absolutely where memorization was the thing, right? Like yeah. if you can't recite these facts, you don't know. Plenty of others didn't give a shit about that. It was, uh, they, they care about other things. And so it was never, I didn't take one strategy. I took the strategy of I need to get inside their head and figure out what they want and not what they say they want because that, that'll work maybe two thirds of the time. But there's a full category of teachers who think they want X, but they actually want Y. And understanding that gap was the big thing. And once you get it, it's easy. I think I did some of that intuitively, but I didn't ever break it down like you're breaking it down to like you actually identified the system behind it. Oh, yeah. Um, because I, I did. I adapted my style based on the instructor. I, you know, I, I, was, I was quick to kind of interpret that stuff, but I, I was just doing that naturally. And that's just like a, a natural skill set that came to me, um, which is why I did probably well in school versus other people. But so are, are you into things like uh, NLP, like neuro linguistic programming, where you actually break down behaviors yeah, and model? It's because okay. that's kind of what you're describing, but I'm, yeah, I don't know. It, it, NLP is an okay model of that system thinking. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a limited tool set. It's sort of like saying, uh, like going to a carpenter being like, I, so I know you got a lot like lathes and hammers, <laughs> right? And that's what you do. It's like, well, okay, I use those. They're useful, but that's not. By no means is that my entire tool set, nor is that um, the only thing I would ever use. You know, like, like almost, I, I can't think of a philosophy or an idea set 
that I would consider a complete tool set. The closest thing I've ever seen is Buddhism. Um, and that's only a complete tool set for a specific type of goal, right? Not Scientology? <laughs> no, no, shockingly, no. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. Yeah, no, wouldn't that be amazing if I started being like, you don't believe in Thetans? I don't understand. <laughs> my, uh, my, my dad was a science fiction writer. And one of the things he's credited for is uh, that he was at a party. And he often talked about how he, he overheard uh, L. Ron Hubbard say uh, to somebody that if you really want to make a lot of money, you know what you do? You start a religion. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's how you do it, pal. That's how yeah. you do it, pal. And you know what else you do? You blackmail 40,000 IRS agents simultaneously until they give in and give you tax-exempt status. Uh, that'll work too. <laughs> yeah, I want to do that. So uh, I, I want to switch gears a little bit because, uh, you know, you made it as a writer, but then, you know, your, your, your life started turning around. You obviously, you met a fabulous partner. Uh, but recently, you wrote a blog about uh, plant medicine therapy and MDMA. And I'm really fascinated about this. If, if you don't mind talking a little bit about your experience with that and, and why you decided to just come out with that. And how it's helped you. Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, all right. So my, uh, to understand that, let me give you a little background on my therapy, therapeutic background. So after I left LA, I went to Austin and, uh, like the movie had failed, which, which like is the, the most ridiculous rich white person problem of all time. There was a movie made about my life that wasn't a massive blockbuster and it was emotionally crippling to me, right? <laughs> but it's the truth, but like, it's also ridiculous, but it's just how it was. Had Netflix so, been around, maybe, maybe. <laughs> Probably not, no. Uh, but I mean, like, uh, when, it didn't, when it wasn't successful, was there like this kind of ego thing? Like people don't like oh, yeah, the story. No, no, it wasn't that. It, I wasn't fragile like that. It was much more, it was a grandiosity thing. It was like for basically at that point, oh nine, for about eight, seven, eight years, almost everything I'd done had uh, worked. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I'd come from a pretty abusive uh, childhood background, not traditional abuse, not physical or sexual abuse, more emotional loneliness, neglect, really just neglect was yeah. the big one. Um, uh, and, and, uh, but I didn't see it that way. I didn't understand that at all. And all being anyone who's going out and trying to be famous is doing that to fill an emotional hole. And like I was, I just spent 20 minutes ago shitting on LA people. I was out there next to those motherfuckers. So I wasn't that far off from them, right? Well, it's like, intoxicating. I, it's fucking it, intoxicating when you're out there. Only if you have a hole in your soul that you're trying to fill with attention, right? And I did. And I'm not trying to say fundamentally, I was there for the same reason they were. The difference between them and me is that I also had a soul and they don't, or they got rid of it or are willing to trade it or sell it, right? I wasn't. You don't qualify as a antisocial personality disorder in the DSM is what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, they, there aren't a lot of those out there, there's, but there's tons of sociopaths, psychopaths, which is very different than antisocial personality disorder. But anyway, so, so I got to Austin and I made all this money on my books and I was famous and I had girls. And so like, Everything was objectively great in my life, uh, but like I still felt terrible about the movie thing and about whatever, right? And so like I was using success to push push away the negative emotions in my life. So then like I fixed everything. I got in the best shape ever, like eight percent body fat. Like everything in my life was perfect. Could not be better by any stretch. And I, I wasn't miserable. Like it was way better than when I was poor and fat and a loser and whatever. But it was just not that good. It still wasn't what I wanted. Um, it wasn't, it's, I'm like, this can't be it, right? So then I'm like, well, the only thing left is me, my head, my emotions. 
So then I started psychoanalysis. I went four times a week for four years. And it was really good at giving me a map and, uh, to my emotions and my psyche and understanding sort of like where I was. But it's sort of like, imagine if I said, hey, I want you to really describe New York City to me with a map. It's like, that's only going to get you so far, right? You kind of got to walk the island, right? You got to walk the territory. And for emotion, for, for psychology, walking the territory, for therapy, walking the territory is feeling your emotions. So I had done all the thinking I could, and I was done, and now it's time to feel. And I just, it was real hard for me. I tried a bunch of things, and nothing was really working. And then a buddy of mine did MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And, um, and like, I saw the change in him, and it was breathtaking, the difference. Powerful. And I was like, I want that. Like, I want, I want to be who he is. And I don't mean everything, just the way he, like, what's changed in him is I want that change. And so I went to uh, his guide. Of course, this is shit's still illegal, right? I mean, it's in phase three clinical trials. It's going to be legalized uh, next year, year after probably, but it is still illegal. So I, def- I it, thankfully, he introduced me to his underground guide. And uh, this woman was amazing. And uh, I did uh, a few sessions with her. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of this. And now it's about 18, a little bit over 18 months later. And I've done, I don't know, man, at this point, probably 12 to 15 different uh, therapies, mainly only three substances, um, uh, MDMA therapy, uh, psilocybin therapy, mushrooms, or LSD. I've also done one ketamine session as well. But man, it's fundamentally changed my life, dude, in all ways, shapes, or forms. It's yeah. probably the most important thing I've ever done. A- absolutely. Yeah, and I, I've done I've done a lot of that type of work uh, myself. I you know I went to Burning Man for like twenty years and uh, <laughs> did a lot of mushrooms. But uh, it, it you know it, but it's also you know there's there's a there's a component to it because it's one thing to uh, you know in, in those experiences you have these grand awarenesses of like extreme love or like oh my god everything is connected to everything else or oh my god there's multidimensional beings that are contacting me from you know other dimensions that's a that's a different topic but, uh, <laughs> uh, but i get it man i i i talk to the machine else too okay, okay cool cool <laughs> yeah when they show up and, and it's really it's really wild because uh, i don't know if this was your experience but for me when when they showed up uh they were kind of like hey it's you and i'm like yeah it's you guys i know you and they're like yeah i know you and we just kind of partied together and then they were like hey you want to see some cool stuff and then they show you around you know weird geometric shapes and shit. And I don't know if that was your experience. Yeah. So I'll tell you guys, I've come to, I've had really good guides uh, on this. Like I, I, I've never done any of these substances recreationally. Like I'm confused as to how someone does LSD at um, like at concerts. I'm like, what the hell? This stuff is a, (laughs) I mean, this is a serious gut punch substance. I don't know how people do this at concerts or whatever. How how big a doses are you taking in in therapy therapy for? for It it totally depends. Um, So for MDMA, you're looking at 150 to 180 milligrams Uh, for psilocybin, anywhere from two, two and a half up to my, I did one session that was eight and a half grams, which is like a serious, like that's where you see the machine. I was That's a heroic journey. Yeah. And then LSD, I've not really gone beyond, I did one session about 200, but LSD, I, I'm either sensitive to it or it hits me really hard. So I tend to stay lower doses is 25 to 50 gets me more than enough, uh, you, uh, which is micro, not a high dose. Have you, have you tried microdosing LSD? Not LSD. A microdosing LSD does not work well for me. It's almost like I can't find a dose small enough. <laughs> it's yeah. super weird. But, but I microdose mushrooms like twice a week. I, I'm 
you know, about 25 uh, uh, milligrams of mushrooms. And then I do the Stamets stack. I do the mushrooms with lion's mane, about 200, uh, gram, or 200 uh, milligrams of lion's mane and 300 milligrams of niacin. Um, and it, it's amazing, man. I feel like it, it's incredible. But, but what I'm saying is that I have really good guides and they basically explain, look, there's two reasons to, take, to do these therapies. One is for trauma recovery and one is for mind expansion and enlightenment. And the two things overlap, but they are not the same thing. And that they really, for me, I had a lot of trauma to unpack. And they're like, we find that, that it's, if you have a lot of trauma, you're better off doing the trauma work first and then going into the expansion yes, enlightenment. Absolutely. Because if you don't, a lot of people, like I'm sure you guys know these people, and I know a bunch of them, the ones who like did ayahuasca first, and then they're, they're, they, they get into what's called spiritual bypass. And they just keep doing ayahuasca because they love the experience and the feeling, but they don't do any of the actual integration work. Because the, the medicines themselves don't change you. They just open the, they, they create an opportunity and an opening for you to do a lot of work and make it a little bit easier and a little bit more accessible, et cetera. But you still got to do a lot of emotional work to get most of the benefit. And so like, and I got this explained to me by people I knew and trusted, thank God. And so I started, you know, MDMA is such a great place to start because it's not really psychedelic. It's mainly trauma work. And I started there, then lower dose mushrooms, then kind of higher dose. And I realized, okay, I'm not quite ready for high dose stuff. And then, uh, then lower dose LSD. And that's, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm going to start moving up the chain to the higher, uh, uh, the more enlightenment based medicines like 5-MeO and ayahuasca yeah. and those sorts of things. But like, it, the lower you stay, the, the better it is because the more you get rid of the trauma, the easier it is for you to be enlightened. But if you don't, it messes you up. Yeah, for sure. So where does, where does this uh, line up in your timeline in terms of like starting scribe media and like scribe was about you... five years ago. So I started scribe long before so about five years ago. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was curious about that. Cause I, I had, you'd kind of like, you had mentioned like you had the movie that kind of flopped um, and then you had kind of left the limelight, I'll say, as far as like being in the mainstream news uh, like cycle at all. Because yep. um, I hadn't really heard your name until I think you spoke at Trafficking Conversions maybe a year or yep. two ago. Um, so I, I saw, I remember hear, seeing your name there, yep. but I hadn't really had your name come up in a while. So is the medicine kind of helping you kind of like reestablish your public profile? Is that what, would you credit that? No, no. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I mean, honestly, man, what, if you have any sort of trauma, trauma gets you stuck where you are. Right. And, and I was able to take my first ride up. I almost used it in a lot of ways as fuel. Right. But the problem is, it's like if you're using trauma as your fuel, it becomes like an unguided missile. Right. And so, like, look, look, I had every opportunity to be a massive, massive star on the first ride up. And I was pretty big, but I didn't truly break through in a household name. Right. Even though a lot of people know, like you were talking about, Justin, a lot of people know who I am, but by no means does everyone, not even close, not even half, not even two thirds. I thought you were way more famous then, but nobody, (laughs) everybody I asked are like, who's that? (laughs) Right. So, I mean, there's like a certain uh, uh, age range and a certain type of person, like I'm hugely famous for them. I I had more than enough opportunity to break through all the way through, but the problem was the fuel was corrupt. So to say, I don't mean that morally. It's just like everything I did was about me. I was driven by my own narcissism, like all that kind of stuff. And that stuff can take you far, but it's generally not going to take you to the top and it's not going to take you to a great place. And so uh, I figured that's, I just basically had to spend the last 10 years figuring all this out and like really understanding and unpacking and all the medicine was almost like the final ingredient 
that helped me connect a lot of dots and let go of a lot of my baggage, man. And it's not like I couldn't have, listen, I could be, I have the charisma and the ability to be famous for a lot of things, like whatever I wanted to do. But um, I kind of felt like I, I knew I had more work to do. I just did. And it's like, all right, I'm going to sit in the background. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't do anything, man. I invested in a ton of tech startups. I learned so much stuff. This company, which is now well into the eight figures, we've done 15, 1600 books in five years. Like I kind of like, there's all kinds of stuff been going. Um, but it's like, it's like I had a castle built on sand before. Now I built a castle on rock. And now it's like getting to the size where it's like, oh, okay, now it's an actual castle. Like it, it, it's being formed. And, and so, and now there's a reason to kind of come out and be like, all right, uh, I have something to offer that will help a lot of people. Here it is. And so that's, that's what I'm doing instead of before was, hey, everyone, look at me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get attention for myself, which there's a place for that for certain people in society. It's unhealthy and I just didn't want to do it. So let me, me, what else have you like kind of picked up? Because you're pretty insightful. You pick up on a lot of like patterns and trends going on and culturally in society. What else have you picked up in the world of like business in terms of the way that people are influencing one another? And I'm curious if you study like the psychology of influence and things like that. And if you have- uh, I'm a storyteller, man. I better study that shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Well, I'd love to hear some insights about like what you've learned along the way in terms of being able to influence because we're, this is a marketing show after all. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I, and I also want to, we haven't even talked about what your current project is and, and yeah. the scope of it. So if you could kind of talk about that also and just let our listeners know like what it is that you're doing right now and then kind of why you're doing it and your take around it. All right. So I can actually answer both of these questions at once. Perfect. So uh, uh, they and they feed each other really well. So Justin's question is, what trends are you seeing? And Andres is, what are you what are you doing? So my company is called Scribe uh, Scribe Media. We help people write, publish, and market their books, right? And so basically, there used to be it used to be that either you had to go to a traditional publisher, uh, which had its own problems, or you had to self publish, which is like you know like there was no good options for that. It was all down market garbage. So all we've done is combine the best of both worlds. You, you uh, It's self-publishing, so you, you get all the rights and royalties, you own everything, you control everything, but we have a level of quality and service. It actually exceeds traditional uh, publishers now. Like our cover designers are better, like everything is, because we, they're our clients, right? So we've got to actually, whereas traditional is like, they're not, the author is not really the client, uh, they're our clients. So so you can come to us now and, and we've done books like David Goggins Can't Hurt Me, which yeah. is like about as famous. That that's the best selling, second best selling memoir amazing, after amazing. Michelle Obama's book. We've done a bunch of uh, Nassim Taleb's a client, the Nobel Prize Committee. We get on the list of all the marketers we have, like tons of those. Like uh, his books now, yeah, but Ryan Dice is a client, uh Roland Frazier, like a lot of the marketers who haven't done serious books now are doing them with us, right? Because they want to own them and control them but they want it to be super high quality and not yeah. the garbage stuff that a lot of marketers. Well, like do. you said, there's not many publishers or self-publishing style companies that can say, I published David Goggins book and right. it's a New York times bestseller. So, I mean, that's like, that's a whole nother level of credibility. Because almost <laughs> all of them, I'll tell you why, because almost all of them are marketers who don't know anything about books yeah, or publishing, exactly. right? Like, in fact, every single one of our, I wake up every day. Cause it sounds like it's an easy, it sounds like an easy way to make money is what, Dude, I, if I look at it like that, that's, I thought about that because that's what it sounds like, but I have it, never it really, is, it is <laughs> at the beginning an easy way to con because there's so many people who want to write books and there's so little good information, but we're in the, in the, in the, we're in the business of changing that right now. Like literally like, uh, so to answer your question, that that's what I do. How does that, uh, 
how's that changing? So what I see in the world um, is that we are reaching, and coronavirus has done nothing but rapidly accelerate this. We are reaching a place, I think, where all high-level professionals are realizing something that a lot of marketers understood, but even marketers don't fully get this, I think. Everyone is going to have to have their own media, right? The idea that you can just be a company man for 20 years or that you can just rely on your network or go to the right schools and check the right boxes, that's, that, that era is rapidly coming to. It was coming to an end before. Now it's very rapidly coming to an end. And people now want to work with people who have proof of work. Like if you're a coach and I can listen to your podcast and hear you coaching people, you are a hundred times more likely to get my business than if someone who doesn't, right? Or if you're a coach with a book that explains your process, you are a hundred times more likely to get my business than just someone, even if they're really good, someone who who, uh, comes just by recommendation or I just read about or whatever. And so like, um, I think, People are starting to realize this, and but very few companies understand this. And so we're from the from the perspective of books, really get this. And so we're that's what that's the whole point of our company. We have a huge marketing backend, like we sell services, ongoing services to all of our authors. We don't sell them publicly though, because our entire everything we do is based off books, right? Not the only way to do it. You can have big media profiles without a book, but that's sort of like our our thesis is that all high level professionals are basically going to have to have a book. And so all roads eventually come to us because writing books is really, really hard, especially good ones. Writing good books is really hard. Writing bad books is really easy. But that's the other thing is that now in a world where everyone has media, you get judged. Like going, going to Harvard, you could be the dumbest kid at Harvard and you still went to Harvard. If you have a bad book, you look bad. If you have a good book, you look really good. And that's a huge, like people can judge you based on you and your work product now. Um, that's another major thing. The other big thing I would say, the third one is everyone is now in the marketing and persuasion game. And uh, most people still don't realize this. Like, I can't tell you many people come in, oh, well, I'm not in the marketing business. I mean, I'm bullshit, you're not. <laughs> everyone is in that game. And so a huge part of what we do is help like people understand, especially our authors, understand you're in that game, whether you like it or not. And so you better learn how to play it yeah. and play it well, or you are going to lose to those who do. Well, just the, the perception of having a book, which I think this is changing. I think you're alluding to this. Uh, if you have a book, you're thought of as a bigger deal than even, even if your book sucks. To this point, at this point, it's changing because yes. I think people are starting to look at the books more now uh, than they used to. But you're just thought, you're, you're thought, you're seen in a higher light. But, you know, if somebody that just grabs like a hundred, you know, a thousand quotes and puts them into a, uh, into a Word document and puts them into Amazon Create Space and calls themselves a best-selling author. That's not the same thing, though, to me as, no. as someone that's writing a real book and like actually putting out value and content. And I think that's where we're going to see a, a shift because there's, there's just a lot of people that are still doing that kind of a model where they're, like, they don't care anything about the book that they're actually putting out. They just want the title of author. And, yeah, no, yeah. We, we intentionally uh, took a, the premium position in the market and intentionally signaled away from those people. And you're absolutely right. Those people are all slowly but surely dying because it's like when, when Amazon bestseller, people thought that was cool. Those people were doing great, like whatever it was, five years yeah. ago. And now they're all, because everyone, like, like that's what happens. You pollute a market with bullshit, then the credential right. becomes, like, if you can buy a Harvard credential at 7-Eleven, it won't be worth anything. So, so the, the, the people that you publish, are they, uh, are they, do, do you help them with, like, editing? Or is there, like, a degree of mm-hmm. 
Like, how do you how do you choose who to publish? How does that how does that your your platform work? So, so uh, we just rolled out a, a different set of products, but but generally, before six weeks ago, uh, it was ten thousand dollars just to basically get in the door with us. Ten thousand up to you know a hundred thousand plus, and um, but even then, we would turn down about ten to fifteen percent of people who have money who want to do it. And it's uh, I, look, I'm a big believer. Everyone should be able to write a book. And so that's why we, you know, like we, like our method, we we put out for free in Scribe Book School, which I'll talk about in a second. So like I, we're selecting people not because most traditional publishers select based honestly on elitism. What are our friends? It is a status thing. Yeah, they want to sell books, but that is secondary to status for, for traditional publishers. And don't let them ever tell you different. It is absolutely true. And they will all admit that, that like they won't publish books that will sell a lot of copies if it means that they don't get to go to the, the cool cocktail parties in New York City. I'm dead serious. That's hundred percent true. There's a couple of people who don't care that like sell a bunch of books and they're the ones that all the, the down market books go to the rest. all go to the cocktail parties. I'm dead serious. That's how that business works. It's crazy to think about, but it's true. Um, so, so we're not like that, but they're like, we're not going to publish a book. That's not a book. You know, like if you shit in a bag and call it a book, it's like, sorry, dude, like there's nothing we can do to help you, right? Like our, our process and our system, we can either help you with publishing, we can do the writing and publishing, or we can do the writing, publishing, and marketing. We can do all of it, right? And so if someone comes to us and they're like, hey, write me a book on sales. And we're like, okay, let's talk about what you know and craft the book. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I know the same shit as everyone else. Just go, <laughs> go write the book. I don't care what's in it. Put my name on it. We're like, okay you'll be better off working with one of our competitors. And those people are always awful to work with. So we push them to our competitors and then our competitors can deal with that bullshit. We deal with people who are smart, who have shit to say, who care what's in their book uh, and then want it to be as good as possible. Those are our ideal clients. At the very least, um, they have an outline. (laughs) Right, right. No, you don't have to show up with an outline. You just have to show up with an idea. Like people who work with us, people have been working, they've been doing shit for 10 years or more, right? People pay them for their knowledge. People have been asking them to write a book. And they don't have the time or energy or effort to write, like uh, ability to write one. And so they need someone to guide them through the process, yeah. right? And so either you can write it yourself with our guidance and we can do editing and publishing, or we can, we can interview you and get it out. And so it's sort of like ghostwriting, but it's all your words, your ideas, same sort of thing. Well, let's take a moment to talk about the, the what's coming up here in, in two weeks or uh, on Saturday. What is it? Saturday? What, what day is it? It's Saturday. It is next, no, no. It's uh, Tuesday the 28th and Wednesday the 29th. It's almost a week away. Tuesday the 20th. Okay. So tell us about that. So, so basically when coronavirus hit, we were like, all right, how can we, because obviously we're on the front lines. We're not a health company. So there's not a whole lot we can do, but everyone's stuck at home and everyone wants to write a book. So what can we do to help? And we're like, we don't sell information. I don't believe in selling. Selling information is fine. Just in this field, I think everyone should be able to write a book. So I think selling high-priced courses here is bullshit. So we took our, our entire process, like everything we do with our clients, all the templates. I mean, here's the thing, you know, people pay us 100000 or more. And I taught the entire thing over five days. Like for about three hours a day, I taught the whole thing, everything. How do you, you know, like, should you, pu- how to figure out if you should publish a book? how to figure out what book you should publish, how to position it in the market, how to structure it properly, how to outline it with all of our templates that our writers used with our authors. We gave all of it away for free, like everything, soup to nuts. Um, uh, one, because like our sales had fallen off 50%. So we're like, all right, we got time. Uh, two, uh, uh, let's do it. Two, we believe in the mission. And three, we're like, all right, if our competitors are selling this information, why don't we give it away for free? to prove how like what our mission is and what we actually believe. And so we did. 
ended up doing really well. We had like 5,000 people on the first set of webinars. And so we're redoing it again next week. Um, and the, we're going to teach the whole, the same thing. It's called, and it, we're going to leave it up for free forever. It's called scribebookschool.com. And then what was funny, it was so cool about this. And the, you guys are marketers, so you'll get how this works. Most people don't. Um, I, is people, people were like, I've made a promise to everyone. I'm not going to sell them. The, this is not a sales webinar. This is a teaching webinar only. And then, of course, people were asking like halfway through, hey, this seems amazing, but can you guys do the work for me? What do you guys do? And I'm like, guys, you need to go to scribewriting.com, talk to my sales team. They'll, they're good at that. I'm only here to teach. And the people kept asking. And so I was like, look, put in the comments what services you want. Like, I won't sell information, but we can, you know, time costs money, coaching, editing, call, whatever. Put what you want and we'll see if we can figure something out. So we went through and we created uh, like two lower end products. One that's like five grand that includes a full edit of the manuscript. The one that's like $1,500 that includes a couple calls. And then they all have like a Facebook group and weekly Q&A. And dude, we, so we sold like $50,000 uh, uh, worth of, of that. Two, we had a webinar two weeks after the teaching. Like it wasn't even the end of the week, dude, wow. because it took us two whole weeks to recover. Because you said you can't buy it. You can't buy it. So now you have We to didn't have anything to sell. <laughs> yeah. We literally didn't have, we had to make up this product based on what people were asking for. And now we're going to start selling it. And it's going to be, a, it's a huge, people love it. And I thought it would be all people who couldn't afford our higher end stuff. And I was totally wrong. There were so many people who could afford it. They just either didn't, they weren't sure. They, they, they didn't know. They didn't want to commit that much. They wanted to go slower. They wanted it, whatever it was, right? Yeah. And so now we've got all these ballers that have paid 1500 <laughs> to, to 5000 uh, And it's like, it's this whole other group uh, that, that of market that we weren't paying attention to that's probably going to end up being as big or bigger than what we're doing already. And, and I think it gets into the scarcity conversation where like people are afraid to give out their best information for free because they're afraid that if you give that away, then people are going to start rival businesses or people are going to just take it and not hire you. But like, I've seen this over and over and over and over that when you give people all this great information, all it does is incentivize them to, to be like, oh, I you. want more now. What else is back there? Yeah, It's what I was talking about. It's all these people now are like, oh, I've seen Tucker teach this. He really knows what he's talking about. These things were amazing, but I still want to save a bunch of time and have them do it for me or whatever. Of course, yeah. because they, they trust your, your judgment because you're laying down the knowledge. But not only that, and this is something that we talk a lot about on the show is, is the idea of reciprocity. You give away as much information as possible until people's eyes are rolling back in their heads and they're just like, I'm overwhelmed with it. I just, I, you do it. I, I can't handle it. And, and that's, that's the model. I mean, it's brilliant, especially in times like this where, you know, you figured out a way to pivot. We, we also talked about this on the show where, uh, you know, people are trying to figure out what to do now, but if you can pivot your business in a certain way, give away some information, get yourself seen, it's a really nice way to, you know, get something back in return when, when everything maybe returns to normal. I don't think it ever will. Uh, but, uh, well, not the same level of normal, a new, a new set of normal, a new normal, a new stasis. Well, well, we're, we're we're creeping up on the end of the show. This is a fast hour, man. And I, uh, I, 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 I could go another, but, uh, so first of all, uh, where can we find this course? When is it going to be, where can we find it? Right. It's called Scribe Book School. Just go to scribebookschool.com. You can register on there, like put in your email and then we'll send you all the details. You can register for the webinar. If you miss the, the live training, it's no big deal uh, because we're going to put everything up uh, uh, online for free and it'll stay free forever. And in fact, the last training we did is up online right now for free. So if you want to start today, you can just go start. You don't have to wait for the live training. That 
Uh, what what are the hours for this? Um, do you do you have that? Yeah, it, off it is. Uh, it's it is Tuesday from uh, eleven a.m. Central to like four Central. Tuesday and Wednesday, eleven a.m. Central to four Central. Okay. Nice, nice. Yeah, so and, five hours. And, uh, <laughs> and it, ten hours total. So, so yeah. uh, because you've done, you're, you know, you're in the middle of becoming a uh, uh, what I like to call a um, uh, like a psychonaut. You're, you're, you know, a psychonaut is somebody mm-hmm. who travels up. <laughs> yeah, no, I got yeah. you. Uh, have you had any insight into what this whole thing is and what it represents in a more cosmic sense? I have not. I have not. Um, so I like, I can't tell you, I went to a different universe and they told me X or Y. Uh, uh, no, I, I don't. I will tell you just based on what I have seen and what I think. Um, look, look, a lot of people make the argument, oh, this is the earth's way of healing and creating a stasis and, you know, a new balance. That might be true. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm open to that possibility. I have, I have no idea if that's true. But I do know that we're, I think we're, the two main things that you can see real clearly if you look. Um, is that the sociopaths in uh, key choke point areas of old world stuff, politics, uh, media, and finance are starting to, are trying to use this to consolidate their power, right? That's just how absolutely. sociopaths are, right? And so that is absolutely happening. Using chaos think, as an opportunity. Right. Exactly. And if you think that's not, then you're just a, a blind will, you're a useful idiot for them. You're a sheep. Yeah. But on the other end, I see this as being a lot of people are waking up and not just waking up about the sociopaths. They're waking up about their lives and they're realizing, wow, every, almost everything I did in my life was bullshit to distract me from my emotions. Totally. Totally. This is, this is exactly what, what I see this, this whole thing happening, especially now because people are suddenly having to spend time with their families yeah, and themselves with themselves. Yeah. There's a lot of introspection. In fact, they just did a, a study. I, I forgot. I, I read it somewhere, but in the UK, they pulled a bunch of people and they said, do you want things to go back to normal? And like 75% were like, no way. And, yeah. and how are people going to go back to work when suddenly it's like, you know, cause this is making us question everything, like everything. Yes. The media that we ingest, the politics that we follow, uh, the products that we buy, you know, where they come from, all of it is is suddenly like on us. And we have to look at it, like really look at it, our relationships, like how we deal with our children, everything. Yeah. So it, it's it, nothing is going to be the same again. And I agree with you. I think that that the 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 systems and the programs that have been in place to keep us uh, sedated and and hypnotized, they're not working anymore. And so there, you see the volume going up to 22 because they, they, they don't know what else to do because this is the one thing they cannot control. So I, I think we're, gonna, we're seeing the break of consumerist culture. We're seeing the break of, of slave culture. We're seeing the break of all of it. Yeah. And, and so the, the real question is, who's going to win? Who's going to win the race? The yeah. sociopaths consolidating power or people waking up? Well, I find it incredible that like grocery workers have maintained and continue to go to work and under these circumstances, making, you know, $15, $16 an hour and like risking their lives practically to do it. It's like insane. Like the level of, um, that these people are putting out there, uh, the level of risk and for what, like it's, it's crazy, but it it holds our whole, it, it also holds our entire supply chain together. And it's what keeps like the country running, but it's just like, it's a whole, like that, that trips me out just to think about that the people that there are people willing to do that for, you know, 15, $20 for minimum wage. Dude, dude, I'm just telling like my wife's a nurse practitioner. She owns her own healthcare practice. She's, she's been on the front lines of this 
from the beginning. And she's convinced, and that the data seems to back her up. She's convinced that that if you are under fifty and have no comorbidities, that this is basically the flu in terms of the risk factors for you. But those are two very important uh, things. Over fifty, things change a lot. You got to be real careful, right? Comorbidities, meaning meaning diabetes, uh, you know, heart conditions. What like if you have existing health factors? Old or existing health factors, this is a very, very deadly high-risk thing. If you don't have either of those, some people are going to die. Yeah, of course. But it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, And if you start, I mean, if you're up to the day looking at the data, especially looking at Sweden and Switzerland uh, and Germany, who all three took very different approaches than most everyone else, although different from each other too. You're looking at, man, I'm telling you, man, like and the antibody tests and there's a lot of other things coming back. I think, I think mm-hmm. this is going to get weirder before it, uh, it gets more normal. And I think... Oh, absolutely. No, I think a lot of people are going to realize that they got hoodwinked. Not that... that I think a, a, an intense reaction at the very beginning may, would have made a lot of sense. Like what Korea and Taiwan did. If we had done that, that, that makes sense. Lockdown immediately, test and trace everyone. Okay, great. Uh, if you don't do that, then you just have to basically f- try and flatten the curve to, to get to an eventual herd immunity situation. Okay, fine. But that doesn't justify, like at the beginning and what's going on now are very different things. Yeah. And you're going to start to see people wake the fuck up, man. We have not felt, we have not felt the financial ramifications yet. The credit, the, no, not even close, not even close. Credit card companies have not had the defaults that they're going to have. No, not even close. Mortgage companies are just starting to get those. Well, yeah. I've been, Check this out. I've been following this. Uh, I found a thread on Reddit and this guy did all this uh, research and I double checked it and I verified it. And it's true. Uh, You know how there's lately there's been all these like protests of like, you know, open up the economy. And uh, you've seen this, right? Like people like blocking hospitals to like open up the economy and you can't take away my freedoms. Well, it turns out that these groups have been heavily funded by the DeVos family uh, and other groups that are like basically like these oligarchs, right? And there were some websites that are like the Foundations of Freedom, da 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 da, and they were set up kind of on the same day, just before Trump tweeted like "Liberate these states." So it was it was basically like this thing where they got these people, the the money came in from these companies to basically fund these events to get these people to go and protest, so Fox News can. Uh, show it on TV and say, see, everybody wants the economy open. But here's the thing. The reason, and this is just my own conspiracy tinfoil hat thing. I think that the reason why they want people to get together is they want the disease to continue to spread so everyone can stay home for the election. And the only option would be to vote by mail. And that is why they want to defund the post office and shut it down so there's no vote by mail. This is this is a total takeover of the United States. I'm done with my tinfoil hat conspiracy. Thank you very much. Good night. It's a whole different level right there, man. <laughs> Dude, I don't know what conspiracy theories are true or not. I just know some of them are going to turn out to be right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I just want to say about your about what you're saying though, Tucker, about the like the comparisons to the flu. I think what I found is interesting is I've also been looking at the data. I think this will end up being slightly above the flu in terms of uh, mortality. Maybe like the flu is like 0.1 percent. This will be 0.2. Um, but I also think this affects a very different segment of the population. Like the younger people that have uh, comorbidities, like you were saying, are actually at risk of dying. Whereas the flu is pretty much only a certain section of older people 
um, that are affected. So it affects a different segment of 0.2% of people. And so it, it's, a, it's a whole different thing. Well, that's the but, other thing yeah. too. If the data that, that, is, that we're seeing now from the very front lines is, is, is proves out, do you know what the real comorbidity is? It's metabolically unhealthy people, which is most people, overweight, who eat shit, who don't exercise, all the diseases of inflammation and the diseases of overconsumption, this thing seems to attack like really bad. And so like, if that's true, then like what we're, we're going to see, like, and I think we're going to see it anyway, because I'm just telling you, man, like, a lot of global supply chains are going to break down and not come back. Most of them will, but like seafood is extremely complicated. 95% of commercial fisheries are shut down now and probably like are shut down, done, mm -hmm. right? And all, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff where people are going to start being like all this uh, urban farming, chickens in your backyard, right. things where people start doing shit for themselves and are self-reliant. We're going to see any business like that is going to go through the roof right now but not only that but countries countries that are able to do that I yeah so we're gonna start producing their own shit yeah. right well, I live here which like look i'm a big fan of free trade i like free trade but also i like people doing their own shit and i like a robust world that has a lot of insurance built for downside which yeah. uh, which a globalized just-in-time system is not as we are seeing. Well, we have eighty percent right? of our uh, of our pharmaceutical pills are coming from China right now. So eighty eighty percent, or it might be more. Yeah, but I, I was more. hearing eighty. Yeah, but right. Yeah. How does that make any sense? And, no, and we don't even have none. we don't even have a manufacturing plant capable of producing uh, respiratory masks. So 3M had to outsource like to China and other countries because oh, that's bizarre that's like land. Weird. It's this is bizarre land at the way that this thing was handled. And I I I, I live here in the Netherlands, right? So I know that. Uh, the Dutch, one thing I know about them is that they are very self-reliant. And uh, we have some of the highest concentration of indoor growing of anywhere in the world. And so I know that especially like with the way that the EU is built together, uh, and it's funny that that just as, as the UK left the EU, all of a sudden they're like kind of on their own. And now the EU has... Uh, trading status with one another. So I think, you know, being next door to Germany and uh, some of the northern countries, I think we're going to be okay here. But uh, man, uh, there's some other countries that are not at all. I, I, know. I worry about it. Very interesting. So, so is your, are you pumping all your money in the stock market, Tucker? <laughs> no, I actually think I'm, I'm not fucking around. I think the stock market is going to go to Dallas, going to hit 40,000 within the next 18 months to two years, which doesn't mean the economy is healthy. It doesn't mean things are great. I'm just saying, like, uh, with, Europe, the European bonds have to default. They're done. Like those Corona bonds that are coming in are this certain mission that they're, they're done. And so they, they're going to default. Asia's going to default. We're going we're to have a massive sovereign wealth defaults. And so the only place for big money to run is going to be U.S. equity markets. So I'm, I'm very bullish on the Dow, only as a symbol of that's the only place left for big money to mm -hmm. go. Not that everything's going to be great in America. Not that it's legitimately, but it's propped yeah, up right. because of that. Okay. Wow. Well, this is this has been an amazing conversation. Uh, Tucker, we'd love to have you back on, man, uh, at, at some point when this is all over and done with. And uh, done. Uh, talk more about uh, what you're doing. And if you we ever talk about the election and all that fun stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, dude. I forgot. <laughs> I know. We've forgotten that's coming. It's only like six months away or something. It's insane. That's insane that that's coming. Yes. This has been a long decade. This, this decade has been the longest decade in ever. I know, and it's four months old. It's four months into it. Oh, my God. Tucker Max, everybody. Amazing. Amazing.
So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think that uh, I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do in the next uh, couple of weeks here. What's that? Are you going to do some uh, MDMA therapy or what? Uh, well, I mean, that's a given for sure. For of sure. Course. A little microdosing. But uh, uh, no, I, 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 w- I really want to take this, uh, this course. I think it's going to be quite something. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I might not be able to attend it live because we're talking about 10 hours uh, in the midweek. But like you said, if you go to the website, you can actually watch the previous one is on demand. Hmm. So I'll be heading over there and checking that out like right away. Yeah, but he's going to keep it up uh, permanently anyway, right? So yeah, the new to... the new one will be recorded and kept up permanently as well. So the one that he did like a couple of weeks ago, he said, is is up there now on demand, and then this one will also be on demand when it's released. But uh, I mean, ideally, I would want to attend live. I'm just that yeah. kind of a person where I, I I'm like eat much better focused on a live presentation for whatever the reason. That's just me. Yeah, <laughs> so. I'm, I'm much better focused when I can do uh, 2x and uh, two and a half x uh, <laughs> times the, um, the speed, but while I'm reading the news. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are the Marketing Geeks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please leave a review and tell uh, 500 of your closest friends about us. Uh, oh, damn it. We forgot to ask him what he's most geeky about. At this oh, point. my God. Well, what are you most geeky about? Why don't you answer the question? Uh, that's a great question. I just, uh, I just actually finished season two of Westworld. And uh, so what do you think? Because I, I, I kind of liked it, but I was underwhelmed overall. Like it wasn't as good as season one for sure. I'm, yeah, I'm positive yeah. on that front. It was a little like overly complicated for the sake of like trying to be overly complicated. I feel like I, I actually, I actually think it felt to me that they completed the season and they said, well, you know what, we're about. Uh, three and a half episodes short. So we got to pad it. And they just put like a ridiculous, like a storyline that really didn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Uh, but so, so that, but it, that was pretty cool. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, it's I still creative. I, it's yeah. still, it's still a decent show and I have not dove into season three yet, but uh, it's, it'll happen soon. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm into that. And then the other thing that I'm, uh, I'm actually into is I'm using a new piece of software called Writer Duet. It's a free screenwriting software. And uh, I've actually started writing my... That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And I've had this idea, the story idea, kind of kicking around in my brain for several years now. And I've finally started writing it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm writing it as a screenplay because screenplays come easy to me, easier than like a novel. Mm-hmm. Novels take too long. Uh, but I'm probably going to convert it into a novel at some point. But uh, but it's uh, it's coming very fast, and which is good. And I so I, I took time to outline it and uh, really get into the characters. And uh, the process of writing is always surprising to me. So uh, maybe this time I will finish it. I do not know. Maybe. Well, I mean, if you get the screenplay done, that's, that's a easier transition to get to the novel after that because it's just at least you have the dialogue, you got the story, you got all the, the beats. I think you're, that'll be that'll put you on your path. Yeah, and if I if um, I sell the book, then I could say, well, I got the screenplay, and that's that's how I make the internet money. <laughs> that's how you make the internet money. Uh, it, for me, I just I think I emailed you about or I messaged you about this. I watched the the movie The China Hustle, which is a documentary on uh, Amazon. Yeah, and I actually emailed that guy because I'm like, you got to come on our show, and I don't think we'll see if he responds or not. But <laughs> it's about this guy that was. Uh, he reveals how how the stocks on the so on the New York Stock Exchange and Nasdaq they list companies from China, mm-hmm. but they're not really listed in the U.S. They're they're like they take like shell companies and like attach like 
somehow attach these companies to these weird shell companies. It's a really weird system. And, uh, and a lot of the companies that were listing, he and other groups of researchers went out to China and went to go check on them. And, you know, a lot of these companies that are listed like $100 million, you know, making $100 million a year companies were like complete rundown factories, complete lies, complete fabrications, totally, total fraud. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's just Wall Street fraud all over again. So this guy's mission is to identify these fraudulent companies that are still happening to this day and short selling them and, you know, punishing them and, and, it, and kind of exposing, exposing that truth. But it, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I had no, I, did, I had no idea any of this was going on and I actually am somewhat in touch with the markets too. So wow. I, I got to check that, man. There's, there are ways that, that, that people are making money and just, just, amplifying it that we can't even comprehend we can't even think of it it's like it's just like yeah it's crazy and meanwhile you've got you've got people who are like digging in a trash can looking for a peach pit to eat and you know trying to figure out how to deal with their lives and these people these guys are making you know hundreds of millions of dollars billions of dollars on fake companies yeah (laughs) it's 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 you know and this is something that that tucker uh and i definitely agree on which is that there are things coming to light and the system is breaking apart. The sociopaths that are running things are not going to be able to hold this shit together for too much longer, man. We're, we're, I guarantee you in 500 years, if we're still alive as a species, people will look back at this time and be like, Oh my God, can you imagine living through that? That must've been crazy. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that this situation has made some people that are sociopaths have made it just so painfully obvious that they lack empathy. Yeah. And I'm not going to name names, but there are some people that if you pay attention to what's being said and what's, it's just, it's just painfully obvious. Well, I, I think and, that and I don't care what opinions there are. It's, it's, there are just some things that have just been so, I mean, there's no argument there. Yeah. I you, think you can argue about other things, but there's no argument that there's like a lack of them. De- definitely. And I think that's a problem with a good majority of, especially in the Western world. Like there, like the, 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 if, if America has done anything, it's, it's, it's learned how to create and breed and and educate and make perform and, and reward performance for sociopaths and psychopaths and mm-hmm. and that's you know that that's got to end it's got to end or we end as a species you know so uh i believe it's going to happen because it's part of like i mean not just capitalism but like individualistic every man for himself kind of uh that philosophy which is what we were pretty much built under um i think that is probably the bigger thing because you, you see the other countries that have the more collectivist kind of yeah. cultures that don't, they're, they're more the group, they support the groups and they're not running into these kind of greed issues. It, you know, I, I'd like to, I've, I mean, I, I'm a fan of capitalism. Um, I'd like to see it work and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure though, because it's, uh, it, 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 time and time again, like, the stuff keeps happening. I mean, it's, it's obvious patterns at this point. Yeah, and and you know the I pay a lot of fucking tax over here, man. But you know what? My kid can go to a really really good school, and he I don't have to worry about him getting shot, and people don't lose their house when they get sick, and it's 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 a different game, you know. So uh, yeah. look out for everybody. Well, I, I just you know, yeah, yeah. I always want to be rewarded for my work. And and those kind of things, but I think those can coexist with other absolutely. ideas. So. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So uh, another great show, man. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Tucker Max and uh, Justin Womack. We are the Marketing Geeks, and we are out. Stay classy. Marketing Geeks.
topics. Come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. On the search and end, Justin Womack, the fun will never end. It's Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks.